What's up, Four Corners? Hey, it's so good to be with you guys. Hey, my name is Craig, and uh, I actually used to be on staff as one of the pastors here at Four Corners about nine years ago. And with Pastor Ben being in India this week, uh, he had talked to me about possibly uh, coming and preaching and hanging out with you guys today. And I decided instead to uh, get a proxy and bring somebody who's a way better preacher than me. Uh, this is Pastor Tim here. I'm going to introduce him in a second. But before that, if you guys noticed in that video, uh, you had Pastor Will, who was in India, and uh, Pastor Ben, that was not David and Goliath. I know the perspective of that video looked like, made uh, Will look, Pastor Will look like a giant and Pastor Ben uh, look very small. That is not true. This, that was a camera illusion. So anyways, uh, with that said, man, it is an honor to be back with you guys and worship with you uh, here today. I want to introduce you to my friend, uh, Pastor Tim, who's going to be bringing the message today. Thanks so much, Craig. Good morning, Four Corners. How are we doing today? Good, good. Hey, I just want to say before I get started, thanks to Pastor Ben for allowing me to fill in. I was talking to him last week. He said, hey, you can go for like an hour and a half. That would be great if you had preached that long. He said people would love it here. Um, and so don't worry, I'm only going to go an hour and 25 minutes. It's going to be great for that. But seriously, it is a huge honor to get to fill in for somebody. It's kind of like if you gave me your child and you're like, here, I'm going to India for 10 days. When I come back, just make sure uh, my child's in as good or better condition that I left it. So huge amount of trust that he's given for me, but I appreciate being here. A little bit about me. I brought a photo of the most important people in my life, my family. Last week, my wife had just completed a marathon. So she had run 26.2 miles. She corrected me. She was like, actually, it was like 26.45, according to her watch. But she was still smiling at the end, which tells you a lot about her. What would tell you even more is that she's been married to me for almost 17 years, and most days she is still smiling at the end of that as well. She's an amazing lady. That's Olivia, our daughter, who's 12. In between us, she's in the seventh grade. She loves to sing. She loves art. And she also has a crazy good sense of humor. And then my son, Jack, is on the right. He's 10, so he's in fifth grade. He loves soccer, and he loves math and science. I didn't know that there were kids who loved math and science until I had a kid who loves math and science. Like he does math and science for fun. That's how much he loves math and science. But I really am excited to get to be here today and talk to you a little bit. Hey, I'm gonna need a little bit of participation from you. How many of you have ever played hide and go seek? Yep, almost all of us. Growing up, I have one sibling, I have a brother. He's two years older than me and that was our go-to game. Like if we, if we were bored, whether we're inside or outside, we're gonna play hide and go seek. So being the younger sibling one day, you can imagine my surprise when my older brother came to me and said, Tim, would you like to play hide and go seek? Like I'd always dreamed of this moment. And so I was like, uh, yes, I would love to play hide and go seek. And he said, I tell you what, this time I normally count to 20, but I'm going to count to 100 and you go hide and then I'll come find you. I was like, awesome. And so he started one, two, I knew exactly where I was going. Like I've been waiting for this moment. And so I went in the house as far as I could get from him back to my parents' room. I went through their room into the bathroom, right in front of the sink. I opened up the cabinets where the plumbing from the sink in is and there was just enough room, right? There was just enough room for me to snake my way behind the plumbing in there, reach out, grab the doors and close them. I hear like 61, 62, 99, 100, ready or not, here I come. I'm like, man, this is the best spot ever. He is never gonna find me. Some of you already know where the story's going, don't you? Right, like he is never gonna find me. A couple minutes later, I'm like, man, this is such a good spot. He's never gonna find me. I hear called out, like, don't worry, I'm still looking, just stay hidden. I was like, okay, he's never gonna find me. A few more minutes go by. He calls out again, like, I'm still looking, just stay hidden, I'll come find you. How many of you think that he was actually looking for me? Yes, that was a, that's a younger sibling back there raising their hand, I think. 
No, no, you guys already know that dude was not looking for you. He was sitting on the couch eating popcorn, watching cartoons, just randomly calling out like, I'm still looking, stay hidden. And yet in that cabinet, at some point, what I was thinking changed, right? It went from like, man, this is such a good spot. He's never going to find me to he's never going to find me. What's more, I wasn't exactly sure that I could get out of the cabinet, right? Like I got in and I started thinking I'm stuck and I'm all alone, right? It's funny when you're talking about a kid playing hide and go seek, I'm stuck and I'm all alone. It's not as funny when you're an adult, is it? And you have that feeling of like, I'm stuck. I don't know how to get out of where I am and I feel completely alone. And yet sometimes as adults, we find ourselves in that situation. One time I was 25 years old. Katie and I had been married for four years. A few weeks earlier, I had come home from school. I was in seminary. I had come home from school and she said that we were pregnant. We were so excited. We were trying to have a child and we celebrated, but we didn't tell anybody yet because it was still pretty early. Well, you can imagine my surprise. A few weeks later, I'm sitting in class and my phone rings and it's her. And I thought, she knows I'm in class. So I stepped outside of class and I answered it. And she said, hey, can you come to the hospital? She didn't tell me anything else, so I just went out and I got my truck and I drove to the hospital. It's a small hospital. And I went inside those doors and I can still remember inside the emergency room. She's like sitting in the emergency room in a wheelchair and there's a lady behind her getting ready to take her through the doors that I couldn't go. And she said, hey, they just would let me wait long enough for you to get here so I could tell you what's going on. But my stomach was hurting and I called the doctor thinking it was normal. And he said, it's not normal. You need to go to the hospital. And he came and he did an ultrasound and he's 99.9% sure that I have an ectopic pregnancy. At 25, like, I didn't know what that was. So I was like, is that bad? What is that? And she said, yeah, it means that the baby, instead of implanting in the uterus, is implanted in a fallopian tube. And I said, is that bad? And she said, yeah, because when the baby gets too big, that tube's going to bust. And I said, and we would lose the child. And she said, and the mom. So she said, we're going to go to surgery right now. So literally the lady took her, I've been there like 30 seconds, the lady took her back through those doors and I can remember the doors closing and I remember looking around and I didn't know anybody in that hospital. And I remember feeling like I did when I was a child hiding in that cabinet that I was stuck. Like I can't fix this and I'm all alone. Maybe you felt that way before. Maybe it's that you go to a job or you go to school every single day and you're surrounded by people but you feel completely alone. Or maybe it's that you have a child and they're six or they're 56 and they continue to make bad decisions and you're going, I don't know how to help them and my prayers don't seem to be answered. Maybe it's that you were in an abusive relationship at one point in life and because of it, you feel alone in your other relationships. Maybe you're just a Bengals fan, <laughs> right? Is that too much? Right, like maybe you're just a Bengals fan and your team hasn't won a game and you're like, I thought I was on the bandwagon and you turn around and there's no bandwagon for the Bengals anymore. Or maybe it's something that's actually good. Maybe it's the fact that you've stepped out feeling like God has called you to help somebody. Maybe it's to help kids who are born into poverty and you turn around to realize there's nobody who stepped out with you, but you don't feel like you're making that big of a difference. You feel stuck. We've all been in the emergency room before, right? Where we feel stuck. We don't know how to fix it and we feel alone. The good news for us today is that the Bible's full of people who felt like they were in the emergency room before, like they're alone and they're stuck. One of those groups of people is found in Daniel chapter 3, which is where we're going to be today. If you have your Bible, you can open it up or you can just follow along on the screen. We're going to read a good bit of the Bible. I hope that's okay with you. I love the Bible and I think it speaks into our lives today. But setting the story up, here's what happened. You have the Israelite people, the Jewish people, God's chosen people, but it doesn't take place in Israel. 
The story takes place in Babylon, which was this ancient, majestic city that was known all over for its splendor and its opulence, but it wasn't in Israel. So you have Jewish people who were in Babylon, and here's how they got there. The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, in 586, went to Jerusalem, laid siege to the city, tore its walls down, so tore its defense down, went to the temple that Solomon had built, tore it down, and then it took its people and it enslaved them. Babylon took the people, pulled them from Jerusalem, and took them to Babylon and put them there. So every single day, these people, these Jewish people, God's people, wake up every single day in a foreign land being reminded that they're captives, right? that they're stuck, and that there's no visible presence of God in their life. There's no promised land, and there's no temple. They wake up every single day feeling what? Feeling stuck and feeling alone. Maybe like you felt before, certainly like I've felt before. We're going to pick up with the story in Daniel chapter 3 in verse 4, because right before that, Nebuchadnezzar has this idea, and here's his idea. I'm going to build a statue, but it's not just any statue. It's 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and it's completely wrapped in gold. So imagine this shimmering, shiny, 90 foot tall, 9 foot wide golden statue, and then he gets everybody He gets all of the conquered people. He gets all of the officials from Babylon. He gathers them together around this statue and they're given some instructions. And that's where we're going to pick up in Daniel chapter three, verse four, where it says this. Then the herald, right? The one who would announce things for the king. Then the herald proclaimed nations of peoples of every language. So everybody's there. This is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must do two things. You must fall down and you must worship. If you're new to church, here's what worship means. It simply means to lift up or to exalt or to give importance to or to orient your life around. So you're to fall down and you're to worship this image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. So all of these people are given a choice, right? And here's the choice. You can fall down and you can worship this image that declares Nebuchadnezzar is in charge and he's in control, or you can be thrown into a furnace and die. Every Jewish person who heard this would have known that was a problem. Because every single day, if you're Jewish, you say this prayer. It's called the Shema. And you would have said it from one time a day, or if you're really devout, you may have said it four times a day. And that prayer starts with this, Hear, O Israel, is the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Every single day they prayed, God, you're the only God. You're the only one who's supposed to be worshipped. And yet Nebuchadnezzar, who's in charge and is in control, said, I tell you what, you can either bow down to this image or you can burn. So here's what their choices were. We can do the wrong thing and worship this and end up in the right place of being alive, or we can do the right thing and not bow down and end up in the wrong place of being in the furnace. Here's what they learn, is that living in God's favor doesn't mean that we always live in favorable circumstances. Right, just because we're the called, loved people of God doesn't mean that our lives are always lived in favorable circumstances. And we hear that today and we're like, well, that's kind of stupid, like who would bow down to it, like to a statue? But we live in a culture that worships many things. Remember, worship, lift up, exalt, orient your life around. We live in a culture that orients its life around what? Around money. How much can I get and what can it do for me? 
One rapper says this, success is my idol and being broke is my rival, right? Like I'll do anything it takes to get as much as I can get. We live in a culture where people worship money. We live in a culture where people worship success or the appearance of being successful. We worship comfort. What makes my life comfortable? We worship sex, right? Everything's to get this one thing. Or sometimes we even take good things and put them in places they don't deserve to be and orient our lives around them like our children, right? What can I do to make them happy? But every Jewish person would have known that this is a problem. So how do they respond? Well, the music plays, and it says that everybody bowed down. Right, because they knew Nebuchadnezzar's in charge and he's in control, and so they're going to bow down. Well, almost everybody. We're told about this people group. They're the Chaldeans. They hate the Jewish people. Right? It's like they have these sibling rivalries, and, and so they don't like the Jewish people. And so they notice that there's these three guys who don't bow down. Apparently everybody else does but these three guys. And so they go to Nebuchadnezzar. It's like they're going to dad to tell on the other kid. And this is what they say. King Nebuchadnezzar... But there are some Jews who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Those of you who are parents know what it's like when one kid tells on the other kid. My wife was a teacher before having kids, and so Oftentimes in the morning, she'd be on bus duty. So one morning, she's out there on bus duty. She taught kindergarten, and one of her kindergartners got off the bus and came straight to her and said, Mr. Remus, Johnny called me a bad name. And she was like, well, okay, Johnny. I mean, okay, well, will you tell me what Johnny said so that I can go talk to him? And she said, it's a bad word. And she said, well, why don't I bend down and you can whisper it to me so that I can know what conversation I need to have with Johnny? And she said, okay. And, and so she, she said, Johnny called me the E word. My wife's like... Right, what we're doing, like, I don't know an E-word. The other teachers are a little bit confused, and so finally she said, what's the E-word? And she said, he called me an idiot. <laughs> so, like, true story, my wife's telling me this story, and I don't laugh, because I grew up in Mississippi, <laughs> until she says, no, idiot starts with an I, not with an E. And I was like, oh, I got it, that was awesome. <laughs> right, it's like when one kid's telling on another kid to dad, the Chaldeans tell on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to dad, the one who's in charge and in control, King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is his response. King Nebuchadnezzar says, the, or says this, Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego so that these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? Right? Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Then he gives them a second chance. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and to worship the image that I have made, very good. But if you do not, he says, and he repeats his threat, if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Notice what he adds, if you don't worship it, what God do you think can rescue you from my hand? Because Nebuchadnezzar understands this, that worldly power is supremely confident that there is no limit to its own authority. Nebuchadnezzar says to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in case you missed it, I'm in charge and I'm in control. Who do you think is going to rescue you if you don't do what I'm asking you to do? They don't need a lot of time to reflect on this. 
And every single one of us, as we hear Nebuchadnezzar's words, are reminded that we're not always in control either, are we? We get up every single day and we go to a job and we have a boss. And we were reminded that we're not ultimately in charge or in control. We come home to a group of people that we're reminded far too often we can't control. We can influence, but we can't control. You go to the doctor and you get a physical and the report comes back and you've been doing your part, but you're reminded that there's this thing called genetics and you inherited things from your parents and you can't even control your own health. We're reminded every single day that we're not in control, just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were reminded, and yet here's their response in Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Guy who's in charge, they say. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you to this matter. For if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. What they say to Nebuchadnezzar is this, we believe that God can but they're not done. We believe that God can and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. We believe that God can. We believe that God will, but even if he doesn't, they say. But even if he does not, we want, to know, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or the worship the image of gold that you have set up. If you ever want to see what faith looks like in the Bible, this is it. We believe that our God can. We believe that our God will, but even if he doesn't. You see, it's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have this different view. Everybody else looks at Nebuchadnezzar and says what? He's in charge and he's in control. And they look at Nebuchadnezzar and say, you may be in charge, but you're not in control. They have a different view of who's ultimately in control. And so in this, what we see is this. We see that our faithfulness, our faithfulness to God doesn't have to be dependent on our fate. God, we believe that you can, we believe that you will, but even if you don't, our faithfulness to God is not dependent on our fate in those circumstances. To say it differently would be this, if you're a follower of Christ here today, we don't obey God. We don't do what God has called us to do to get what we want. Right? How often do I find myself thinking this, praying this? God, if I just go to church, will you fix this relationship? God, if I, if I just start praying about it, will you intervene and do what I want you to do? God, if I put you first in my finances, will you fix this financial situation? We don't obey God to get what we want we obey God because he's already given us more than we deserve, right? Our faithfulness doesn't have to be attached to our fate. The apostle Paul reminds us of this truth in Romans chapter eight, where he says this, you see at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for who? Not the perfect, not everybody who has it together. He died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, right? Even though we don't deserve it, Christ died for us. God's already done more than we deserve and our obedience is based in that and who God is not in getting what we want out of God. Why? Because our faithfulness when we're in the fire is not dependent on our fate. 
Why? Because we believe something different like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We believe that the authority of our situation is based in the supremacy of Christ, not the immediacy of our situation. Everybody else may say, no, 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 you're not in control. And we would say, I agree, and I know who is in control. Right? The authority of the situation is not based in the immediacy of our situation, but in Christ's supremacy over it. When I talk about this, I think about my friend Bobby. Bobby coached my daughter Olivia's t-ball team when she was five. His son Dawson was on that team, and Bobby's a great guy. He loves Jesus. He and his wife Liz are plugged in, engaged at their church. They have four beautiful kids. They live in Phoenix now. Well, a few years after I got to know Bobby, he had one day the mistake that a lot of us guys do have. He thought he was 18 again. So he did something he shouldn't do. He picked up something super heavy, and he had a hernia. Right, like embarrassing to talk about, but it happens. And so he went to the doctor, and the doctor was like, "Look, man, I see a lot of this. You know, you just shouldn't have done that, but no big deal. We're gonna have quick surgery, and then you'll be good to go." So he's like, "Okay, great." They do the surgery, and it comes back. They do another surgery, and it comes back. They do another surgery, and it comes back. And each time it comes back, it's worse. And essentially, here's what's happening: his internal organs are going to where they're not supposed to be in the Bible. I mean, in his body. I'm not a doctor, but it doesn't sound good. Right, like when your intestines are floating up into where your lungs are supposed to be, probably not a great situation, and they would get infected every single time. In fact, one time he was feeling so bad, he went to the doctor, and they said, Bobby, this isn't good. Your white blood cell count is like crazy low. So they load him up on drugs, send him home. He comes back later because it's hurting worse, and they said, man, we have no idea what's going on because now your white blood cell count, which was so low, is like so high. So they put him on a plane and send him to the Mayo Clinic. He gets put on a feeding tube. 44 days, he's in ICU, and he said, I don't remember any of it. He doesn't remember his kids coming to see him. He doesn't remember his wife coming to see him. He still has health effects from that. And he said, you know what? Sometimes I find myself in the situation where I feel stuck. Like, I can't fix myself, and I feel alone. Like, why is God allowing me to go through this? And so he said, I find myself asking this question over and over, and this question is this, God, why me? Like, why my kids? Why my wife having to go through this? God, why me? But you see, Bobby understands that God's already given him more than he deserves, even if he doesn't give him what he wants. And so he said, I've started making this conscious decision that every time I have this thought, and he said it's often, God, why me? I start replacing that question in my mind with, God, why not me? If you want somebody to walk through this so that you are seen through it, God, why not me? My faithfulness is not dependent upon my fate when I'm in the fire. Why? Because Christ has already given us more than we deserve was what drives that faithfulness. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego live happily ever after, right? Things like, cool, you can go. No, that's not what happens. Next verse in Daniel chapter 3, so these men the three we've been talking about, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, so they're fully clothed, were bound. So they literally tie their feet together, they tie their hands together, they're completely helpless, and they're thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent, and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these big, strong guys who take them up to throw them in the furnace, they die from it being so hot. And it says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. So they're completely helpless. They've done what God's called them to do, and they're still thrown into the fire. 
Here's what happened next. It says that King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet. Right, so the king, the one who's in charge, leaps to his feet in amazement and asks his advisors, hey, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Like, dumbest question ever. You just ordered it. He's like, hey, weren't there three that we threw into the fire? Certainly, your majesty, they said. And he said, look, I see a fourth man walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Here's what sticks out to me in this whole passage. This is the point that sticks out to me, is that they're thrown into the fire, and what sticks out to Nebuchadnezzar? What's the first thing that he says? Hey, didn't we put three in there? Yeah, we put three but there's another in the fire, right? There's another in the fire with him and he looks like a son of the gods. You see, sometimes I think as followers of Christ, here's the trap that I'll fall into. Like that if I follow Jesus, everything works out great. Like if I follow Jesus, I'll never end up in the emergency rooms in life or I'll never fill up or end up feeling stuck and alone. If I follow Jesus, everything's going to turn out great. But there's only two problems with that thought. And the first is this, is reality. Right? Like, because we still get up and go to the job or go to school and feel completely alone. Or we find ourselves in this financial situation that we didn't want to be in. So the first problem with that thought is reality. And the second problem is this, the Bible. Jesus never said, hey, if you follow me, your life will be trouble-free. In fact, he said the opposite. He said, if you're willing to follow me, you're going to experience more trials, more temptations, and more tribulations. You see, the good news of Jesus Christ isn't that if we follow Jesus, everything in life goes the way that we want it. The good news of Jesus Christ is this. No matter how life goes, he's with us. That, That there's another in the fire with us. That other people would look on and say that God has entered into your situation and he doesn't leave you and he doesn't forsake you. Nebuchadnezzar is not done. This is what he says next. It says, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Fourth time he said those names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then for the first time, he adds something else. Servants of the Most High God. Right before, it was, if you don't bow down and worship the image I have set up, what God is going to be able to rescue you? And now he says, when he sees another in the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Why? Because the fire revealed the faith that was in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't always know why we end up in fires in life or situations that we feel stuck and we feel alone, but I do know this, that if we are faithful to God, not because he's going to give us what we want, but because he's already given us more than we deserve, and when we realize that we're not alone, here's the good news, is that the faith that's inside of us is going to be revealed for everybody to see. I ran across this plant couple weeks ago. It's called a fire lily. And it's only found in South Africa. And we actually had two ladies in the last service who are from South Africa who talked to me about it. They're like, I've seen this thing. And it's this little bitty plant. It's like eight inches tall. During the growing season, it has these little, uh, these little leaves on it, just looks like this little bush. And then it gets hot and it loses the leaves. So it's just these sticks and it looks dead, but it's not dead. 
there's actually a flower that comes from that plant. I brought a photo of the flower that comes from that plant. This is the flower that comes from those sticks. But it takes two elements for the flower to expose itself. It takes heat and it takes smoke. It literally takes fire to, for this flower to expose itself. And so you see everything else around it has been burned and scorched. And you see the beauty of this flower emerge in as little as nine days after the fire has come through the land. Why? Because in the midst of the fire, the faith that's within will be exposed for others like Nebuchadnezzar who's standing outside to look into your life and to say what? There's another in the fire. These people must be servants of not just a God, but the most high God who is ultimately in control of the situation. And you're like, Tim, that all sounds great and sounds fun. Like, you know, your faithfulness is not dependent on your fate. You even alliterated it. That's fantastic. You know, and there's another with me. That's awesome. And my faith is going to be exposed in the fire. But like, like, give me something practical. Like I'm in the fire or I might be or I've been in one before. Like, what can I do if I'm a follower of Christ so that my faith will be revealed in those situations? I think there's a couple of really practical things in this passage that speak to the practicality of everyday life for you and me. And the first is this, that who you sit with today determines who will stand with you tomorrow. Right, Who you sit with today determines who will stand with you tomorrow. I would imagine, and this is me just speculating, I would imagine that at some point Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whether it was when they were removed from their home and taken to a foreign land and put there, when they wake up every single day being captives and no visible presence of God, or when it's, they're thrown in the furnace, at some point they probably felt alone. But they weren't alone, were they? They had the three of them. Why? Because who we sit with today determines who will stand with us tomorrow. Super practical. Be connected to other followers of Christ. That's who you want standing with you when you're in the midst of the fire. There is nothing more discouraging as a pastor to see somebody go through a difficult time and have no one there to stand with them. There's nothing more encouraging than being a pastor and seeing a follower of Christ going through a situation and seeing the church step up and stand next to them. And if you're here and you're like, man, this is, a, this is a great message for somebody else. I'm just not in the midst of a fire. Maybe here's your practical step. Stand with somebody who's in a fire. Look at who you sit with in your small group and say, who needs somebody standing next to them so that they don't feel alone, even if they are stuck? Who you sit with today determines who will stand with you tomorrow. The second practical thing I think this story shows us is this. Cultivate the character today that you want to display in the fire tomorrow. Right, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were put in the fire, their character was exposed and their faith was exposed. Don't wait till you're in the fire. Cultivate that today. Bear Bryant, one of the greatest football coaches, college football coaches ever, said this. He said, it's not the will to win. Like everybody wants to win. It's not the will to win, but the will to prepare to win that makes the difference. Everybody wants to win. Not everybody wants to put in the work to put them in themselves in a position to win. Cultivate the character today that you want to display in the fire tomorrow. What does that look like practically? It means making church a priority in your family. 
right, as you're growing as a follower of Jesus Christ, spending time in God's word, being renewed into the image of Christ, spending time praying, being connected to other followers of Christ as they help sharpen you as a follower of Christ. Cultivate the character today that you want to display in the fire tomorrow. But here's the deal. If you're in the emergency room and you feel stuck and you feel alone, maybe your one takeaway is simply this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, remember whose you are. Right? Remember whose you are. Because at some point, and I don't know when that point was, at some point, maybe it was when they were being removed from their homeland. Maybe it was when they woke up every single day being reminded that they're stuck and that they're alone. Maybe it was when they were thrown in the fiery furnace. At some point, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego remembered whose they were. Because here's the really interesting thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aren't their given names. Those are Babylonian names that were given to them when they were brought to Babylon to strip away who they were and give them a new culture. But that's not who they were born as. They were given Hebrew names when they were born. You see, the the name Shadrach means this. The Babylonian name that they were given means commander of Aku, or this moon god that they worshipped in Babylon. But we're told earlier in the book of Daniel that Shadrach's given name was Hananiah, a name that means God has been gracious to me. Meshach is a Babylonian name that means who is like Aku. His given name was Mishael, which means who is like Yahweh. And Abednego is a name that means servant of Nabu, or this god of wisdom that was worshipped in Babylon. And yet his Hebrew name was Azariah, we're told, which means Yahweh has helped. When you're in the fire, what do you do? You remember whose you are if you're a follower of Christ. That if you're a follower of Christ, you've been bought at a high price. That you've been called to follow Jesus. That you've been redeemed. That you've been gifted to do so. And that you're a child of God. Even when you feel stuck and alone, God is in the fire with you. I'm standing in the emergency room in Waco, Texas. And I'm watching my wife get wheeled back. And I'm looking around going, I don't know anybody here. And I don't know what's going to happen. And so I did the only thing that a 25-year-old self-respecting male would do. I picked up my phone and I called my mama. She was two, two and a half hours away in Houston. She answered the phone and I said, hey, mom. And before I could say anything else, she said, what's the matter? She left work. She got in her car. She drove up to stand next to me. And then I called my friends Jonathan and Drew, who sat with me in small group. They're at work. All I could say was, hey, man. And they said, what's going on? And they left work, and they came, and they stood with me. And here's the deal. I can't remember what they said when they came in. But I can remember what I heard. And what I heard is this, is that there's another in the fire with me. That the good news of Jesus Christ is that you're never alone, for he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. And what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 43, which was true about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is true about you if you're a follower of Christ. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ and you're in the fire, the good news is you don't have to leave alone. Jesus has died for you. He was raised from the grave and you can have new life in him. And what Isaiah says in Isaiah 43 can be true about you as well, where he says this. But now this is what the Lord says to you. He created you, Jacob. He formed you, Israel. Do not fear. 
Right when you're in the emergency room, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. Why? Because God says you are mine. Remember whose you are. You are mine, he says. When I pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you over. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Why? Not because we're that good, but because he is, because he says, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. What God can deliver you from my hand? Here's the good news. Jesus Christ can. And you may not feel it, and it may not change your circumstances, because I was still standing in the emergency room. But when I was reminded that I'm not alone, I was able to say, you know what? My fate is not going to determine my faithfulness. Because God's already given and this earth. And I'm not alone in this fire. And this is an opportunity for the faith that's within to be revealed. I'm going to pray for us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you. The good news of Jesus Christ is true. That we are not alone that we don't have to walk through life alone, we don't have to walk into eternity alone, that you have entered into our situation by Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for everybody who's here who may be in the midst of a fire, that you would encourage them that they are not alone. I pray for those who are here who are not in the fire, that they would find somebody as the church to stand with. Thank you that Pastor Ben and Pastor Will and others are in India standing next to others. Lord, we pray for encouragement. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And we thank you that with you there is always hope. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name that everybody said amen. Thank you all. Would you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Pastor Tim, for an, a powerful and inspiring word. Um, it was truly a blessing to have you this morning. I'd love to invite you guys this morning to go ahead and take that Connect card back out as we prepare to take some bold steps. Uh, the first bold step is bold step A, and it says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. Maybe you heard this message and you were like, you know what, I need Jesus to stand with me in the fire. I, I've never done this before. I've never committed my life to him, but this morning I need to do that. I'd love to invite you to check bold step A, and we'll follow up with you later this week in terms of the next steps that you can take. Bold step B is today I'm choosing to be baptized. Maybe your decision this morning is, hey, I want to make a stand. I'm ready to stand in front of others. I'm ready to stand in front of my church, in front of my friends and family and say, you know what? I'm ready. I'm all in. If that's you, check Bold Step B. Bold Step C is grow. Please send me the link for grow classes. Next week is grow four, revealing your mission and how to share your testimony. These classes are awesome. I've already been through three of them. I'm actually teaching one today. They're incredible. You don't want to miss these. If you're at all interested in that, sign up for that by checking Bold Step C. Bold Step D is you'll agree to pray for our team in India. We have our pastors and some others from our church that are in India this week. Uh, they come back on Wednesday or Thursday. And uh, I just want to encourage you to maybe check that this week and say, I, I agree to pray for our team there, that God would continue to use them and minister through them. Bold Step E is send me the link to sign up for the local serve on November 2nd. Uh, we're really excited about what we're able to do both far but also near. And so if you're at all interested in serving locally, I'd love to invite you to check that as well. If you call Four Corners home, now's also a great time to prepare to honor God with his tithe and our offering. You see, here's what's really awesome. Because of the generosity of 
our church. We're able to put on things like this morning, this service. We're also able to uh, do ministry locally. And we're also able to do stuff just like India and Cuba. You see, in India, if you're new, we have an orphanage there and there's about 40 to 50 girls and 10 boys that we're able to fully sponsor to get them food, to, to put a house over their head. And um, this gives them an opportunity to further their ed education as well. And you saw... Um, Pastor Ben and Pastor Will, Pastor Joseph is over there as well. They're able to participate in Pastor James's daughter's wedding, which is absolutely incredible. I believe we have a couple pictures of, of her. Absolutely awesome. In fact, I heard that their weddings over there last like two or three days, which is crazy. Uh, but it's really awesome. Our pastors are able to be a part of something like that. And it's because of the generosity of this church that we're able to partner with ministries like India, like Cuba, and like, like the local ministries um, that we're, a we're able to touch. So with that being said, I'm going to pray. Our team is going to continue to lead us in worship. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for an incredibly powerful message. Father, I pray that you would encourage us to uh, just have that strength to stand in the fire, to stand alongside someone in the fire, or to recognize that you are with us in the fire. Father, I pray that bold steps would be taken this morning, and I pray that you would be honored and glorified through the tithe and the offering that is presented to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.